All right. Welcome, everyone, to the Mango Minute. I'm your host, Filippo. Today, very special guest, or not so special, <laughs> Johnson here, my friend. We met actually, not a, not a funny story, but it's weird how it all came together. We met at a at this sort of like school that scams kids out of their money. <laughs> blueprint. <laughs> blueprint. Pretty much Blueprint is a school that kind of teaches kids how to take the SAT and ACT better. Johnson, if you want to introduce yourself really quickly. Hey, what's up, guys? I'm Johnson Park. I go to SMIC. I'm a junior this year. Yes, I'm from Korea. Outlook Korean, Outlook Sound Korean. <laughs> That's, uh, I don't know, man. You look pretty <laughs> Korean to me, dude. Just kidding. Um, so, um, today we got a lot of interesting topics to talk about. Um, glad you guys are tuning in. Before we start the podcast, I think it's important to... Um, address sort of like a preliminary sort of like um, common yeah common theme that's going to be present throughout the podcast um, especially because of the sort of argumentative or sort of discourse nature of this podcast and that is the core values for those who don't really know what core core values are are sort of like the the basis of our opinions or our thoughts, you know, how do we derive or going to derive our opinions? They're sort of fundamental beliefs that you can't really change inside. And I'm not saying that these have to be the same throughout every, um, everyone who comes on the podcast or who just listens to the podcast, but it is really important in my opinion to, um, talk about their existence and just their, um, influence and how, um, we talk. So um, this is me trying just dedicating some time to understanding why people disagree and why it is so important to debate and to disagree. So um, I think one of the, the beautiful things about the podcast is just that it allows, it just provides a platform for people to talk and just um, more and more today, I feel like people talk less. It provides a platform for people to channel. It provides a really good platform for a lot of people to channel their thoughts and what they really feel that they can't do elsewhere. Right, right. And it's. I feel like in this day and age with everything that's <coughs> going on, um, not just the virus, but even many political situations, it's, it's very important for us, even for the youth, especially for the youth, to just keep talking. Because as soon as we stop talking, as soon as we stop really acknowledging the problems or like, our thoughts that's when we really lose our sort of like our human essence and um yeah that's it um so welcome johnson on the podcast thank you this is um one of the first episodes so really excited to have you on so um one of the reasons why i think johnson's such an interesting person is his strive for entrepreneurship something that i respect a lot because I feel like one of my main even my one of my core values actually something that I really look for in a person is their um, ambitions right because what really are you without your ambitions what do you what do you provide to the world if you don't have this strive for like success and um so um I, I, I see Johnson as very successful in his own way, as very successful. So I wanted to, for him to sort of like explain his, what he does 
and so I'm gonna leave the floor to you. Right, so thank you, thank you, Felipe, for such a generous introduction. And so, um, so I'll just start off by quickly explaining what I did or how I got started into the whole entrepreneurship thing. I don't, I don't know, like I don't really like calling it entrepreneurship because there's so many gurus and entrepreneurs out there that call what they do entrepreneurship, like drop shipping things like that. That really stained the name, and I feel like it's been. The name of entrepreneurship has been so diluted and saying that I don't want to be associated with it. For me, it's just me working on my own projects that I'm interested in and starting my own ventures that could provide value for people, but at the same time provide me with financial resources that keep me afloat. So it all started when I was in ninth grade, a freshman, freshman year, summer freshman year. You know, I didn't have SAT prep. I didn't have anything to do. I was just in my, I was just in my room. I was just bored, right? And I used to be super into gaming, until I met my Chinese friend, the super rich guy from the Bay Camp, who decided to give me a Steam account with two hundred eighty games. Every single game that everyone wants was on it. And before I used to be crazy about games, right? Like I, I get GTA. I'd be so hyped up about it. Like I saved up for like. Weeks I got GTA, but like all of the moment I had all these like at my disposal, and now the value of being able to play these games were just not fulfilling, and it wasn't fun. So then I was like, you know what? I don't like games anymore. So I just stopped playing games, and I remember that I'd lie on my bed for hours every day. I just I I just wouldn't do anything. I just half asleep trying to sleep trying to get back to the dream I woke up from sometimes and just chilling on my bed, right? And then it hit me, like, I looked in my, I was like, you know what, I'm gonna go on my computer, I'm gonna see what files I have. And then I went into my sister's folder because I used to use her uh, USB, like, right? And I went in her files and there it was. It was her college, uh, she goes to HKUSC, so it was her college folder. So I was like, hmm, what could be in this? What could be in the college folder, right? Like, what does she do? On college folder, and then there were the list of activities, and one said global business, which is her major. So I went in again, and there was a project, a folder, like, like project folders, right? I clicked in that, like, what could project be? And I saw one, and it talked. To, it was like I still remember to this day. It was a case study on a Thai food restaurant, and I had no idea what th case studies were back then, you know. Uh, I was a freshman. I didn't study. I didn't fucking listen in bio class or anything. And so I didn't know what case studies were, but I clicked into it and it was so interesting. It was like making a case study, like analyzing a business. What was that, right? It's basically consulting now that I think about it. But back then I was like, am I like, do these people actually, like, I didn't know what it was. But at the same time, I went to a boxing gym that newly opened and I was like, <laughs> if I could say that I could use this case study, if I could present something like this and show the boxing gym and say that I could create something for them, like a consulting service for the boxing gym, even though I had zero experience, I thought that I could earn some extra money, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's when it all started. I was, that was kind of the first kind of quote unquote business that I was interested in. I had zero experience in consulting, zero education in case studies, but all I had were my sister's files a coach letter briefcase that looked fancy for MUN, which I used for. A very nice co coat I had. 
that my parents bought me for winter formal or something. And a very nice turtleneck, right? And I look pretty old for freshmen. I look like a, I look like a working guy, right? So the very next day, I went to the boxing gym. I saw the boss, introduced myself. I was like, I see that you opened a gym. Like, how is it here? Like, how's you guys going? I just opened it. How are your customers doing? There's not a lot of people here. Like, and I think I have a solution for you. Let me add your WeChat and let me come by sometime. I'll bring my files in. Let's have a small little meeting. And I have vision for your gym. And I'll show you a step-by-step -step process of how you could bring that vision to life and get the gym that you really want. The guy, his name was Frank. I still remember because I had so many Frank jokes in my head. Like <laughs> Whenever I like opened WeChat, <laughs> I was like... I was thinking in the back of my head, like, to be frank with you, I never actually did case it. Like, I obviously didn't send him that bit. I still remember his name because of that, right? And so I went home, printed out all of my sister's files, put it in this very... My parents, um, my dad's in business, so he has, like, official business document files that you put business documents in. Got one of those, put the files in, wrapped it around, put it in a briefcase, Googled how to do a case study. <laughs> found a couple of websites went in and bam there it was 30 first questions to ask when you're doing your case study to ask the business when you're doing your case study right so i copied that down copied it pasted it on my pages and i was like you know what i think i got this right so i set up a meeting time with frank the owner of the gym it was actually a really big nice gym by the way and went in right went in the meeting and so I still remember, like, my hands were sweaty, like, I was waiting for him, he was late, and then, like, I waited for 30 minutes. Finally, he pulled up in his Porsche, and he came out, to, he came out, he was like, oh my god, I'm so sorry I'm late. I'm, I'm like, ah, oh, it's okay, it's okay, no worries, like, and so we got down to business, right? I was like, Frank, so, um, what I like to do is I would like to give you a free case study on your gym. Just... Give me the resources that I need, and I'll create a free case study for you. After that, if you like it, I'll create a marketing plan for you to kind of incorporate the ideas that I think would benefit you. And if you like the marketing plans, I would do it for you, and you could pay me for that service. Mm. Right? So he was like, hmm, sounds interesting, right? Um, he's like, he thought I was a consultant. He thought I had a job. He thought I graduated from college. thought I <laughs> it was like super experienced and all but no i was just a kid and i had no idea what i was doing and i just had this this burst of confidence that i was eluding everywhere that kind of overcompensated for my lack of education in the like the case field of case studies and so i talked to him about it i pulled up my phone i was like ask him 30 questions right answer it one by one like how much you how much what's your revenue how much does it cost what your goals where are your financial goals what's the revenue for a fiscal year things like that right he answered those questions i was like yeah um so let me show you a couple of documents that i have created so this was a restaurant that i did a case study for i took out my sister's <laughs> documents until i bs my way into it right and then he was like hmm, that's pretty good you know like i was like do you like hey, you know, so frank you know do you like thai food and he was like you know, Thai food? Yeah, I think, you know, like Simply Thai places. He's like, you know what? Yeah, I like Simply Thai. I'm like, yeah, so there's a chain like Simply Thai in Hong Kong, and we did a case study for it. This is what we did. Showed him multiple case studies. And he was like, you know what? I'll talk to my partner about this. 
And I was like, yeah, sure, you do that, Frank, and I'll be here available. He talked to his partner, called me. He was like, he texted me. He was like, I don't think we can do it. I asked him why. He never replied. I asked him why again. He never replied. So that's when I learned. I was like, yo, <laughs> I didn't get anything out of this. But the idea and the thrill of being able to go to someone, to kind of interact with them, to get an idea out of them, and to get, like, kind of money out of it, too, because that was fun, too. Because that's, like, that's uh, that's how you could put it in the metrics, right? Mm. And so that idea was just so fun. And so that got me started into business. Actually, that is so interesting. I, I didn't know, like, wow. That's, like, I don't know if I'd ever have, like, even just the courage to do that. I mean, just, like the the idea of like using something you just saw like on your sister's like <laughs> pen drive and just like literally like go to the gym and like truly like try to like make something you know like out yeah. of it like that's that's really impressive that's but the funny wow. thing okay the funny thing is case studies so I was like case studies that's impressive to get me in college oh shit I hope I hope my no one from my school hears this, but um, so what happened was I went to school. I was like, you know what? Case studies are kind of cool. Cause it sounds legit, right? So I made an analysis and management club at school <laughs> where we performed, quote-unquote, performed case studies, which we never did. But then the funny thing is now I'm the president of my business, or co-president of my business club, and now we're actually providing legit case studies opportunities for our members which we have a signed collaboration agreement with a um with a chemical engineering company really yeah so i'm going to your factory tomorrow whoa yes yeah, the funny story man how it built off jesus you're like next level i'm just like man that's that's really interesting and I didn't, I didn't know that's like how how it all started um sort of like on the way um we've talked a lot about your sort of like um this sort of company it's sort of like dare i call it like a school that you started mm -hmm. um that from what i understand sort of capitalized on this like um gap in this in the chinese market of like um teaching students how to be social sort of like build Chinese student social skills. Um, would you care to talk about that? Yeah, so the venture's name, it's called Step Out, short for Step Out of Your Comfort Zone, right? Right, right. And so, <clears throat> yeah, funny thing is, uh, should I tell you how, how, how I actually came up with the idea? Of course, tell me, this is where we're here. All right, so, so, um, all right, so I'll, I probably, I think I told you this before, but when I was when I was a sophomore, I was like, "How can I make money?" Right. Right. <laughs> and then people were like, "Tutoring, right? If you tutor, you make money." Because SMIC kids, they're kind of nerdy. They're smart. They can teach, right? Everyone tutors, they get money. I was like, "Hmm," but I don't know these. Like, I don't. I I, I never like freaking opened the bio book before. How can I teach bio? You know, like I I don't know these materials. I could barely. Get grades in the class. I could barely do it myself. How am I going to teach someone else, right? So I was like, hmm, you know, <laughs> what if I get other smart kids to teach for me? And it's like, I, that's when it all started. It's like, I want to make a WeChat mini program where I could get tutors involved or something. That didn't work out. Investment's too high. ROI is very low. I didn't, think, I didn't see it going anywhere. Then it was like, hmm, I thought about it. What about sports? 
because I saw a PE teacher like training a fat kid and making him run laps after school because his parent paid the PE teacher to do that. I saw that. I was like, hmm, what if I teach fat kids how to get skinny? <laughs> I was like, nah, man, like, not a lot of fat kids in SMIC, kind of skinny, you know? <laughs> So I was like, the market's not ready for that yet. And then I was like, hmm, you know, um, when I was a kid, there were all these sports. There was like soccer available, after school soccer classes, after school basketball classes, after school, um, like, badminton, every class you could imagine. The SMIC had it after school. But then, they don't offer it anymore. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you the reason real quick. So this PE teacher apparently was operating all of these after-school classes without the school knowing. He got all the money, he didn't pay school a dime, the school had no idea what was happening. When he got caught, the school was like, no, you can't do this anymore. So now we can't offer, um, after, now SMIC itself can't offer after-school programs anymore because the government, really? yeah, the government does not allow it to. Oh my god. Yeah, so that's like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I saw that and I was like, hmm, you know, these, there are all these classes going on. How could I capitalize on this market, right? right? So I was like, you know what I could do? I could do something different. I could do something where I make a summer camp, where I provide different students with... So you know how a lot of kids don't know what, uh, what sports they like, right? Especially elementary school kids, they don't know if they like soccer, rugby, basketball. What do they like? So they try it all, right? But these sport camps charge tuition by the semester. So for example, if a kid doesn't like soccer, he can't just not go to soccer class, right? You pay the whole semester's worth of tuition for it. Like normally the first one or two classes are free, but afterwards you have to pay by a semester. So then I was like, hmm, what if I create a summer camp where I get all of the varsity team captains, which I all know because they're my friends, and have them teach these classes and have them teach a diverse selection of classes where kids could take different classes a day for a week and at the end of the week have professional sport teams come in and teach the classes so that they could sign up directly. So then the cash flow will come from, obviously, the tuition from the summer camp. Then I'll also get the commission from the sports team that come in because I send the students to them directly, right? I'll get commission for that. And so I was like, hmm, that sounds like a pretty lucrative idea. I did that. And then I was like, and then, but then I, uh, yeah, I have connections with the director at Stepping Stones, uh, the biggest educational NGO in Shanghai. And I was like, you know what? I'm earning money, but I feel like I could do something because like I run like the child welfare initiative at SMIC and things like that. I was like, you know what? I feel like I could give these um, migrant kids like free classes too. So I decided to give very free kids, free kids migrant classes, but where's that money going to come from, right? So I went to Blueprint, obviously. <laughs> and not obviously, but I was like, hmm, what, what can I do? Like I know the owner of Blueprint and he's a super chill guy. I love that guy, Brian Wong. And he's always so supportive, helpful. Like whenever you need help, what he's always there for you, right? He got your back if you go to Blueprint. So I feel like <laughs> promotion there. No, the money I got from the money I paid to Blueprint, I probably paid like fifty k minimum to Blueprint <laughs> over intensive. It wasn't for the SAT classes, but it was more so for the people's support for me there. Right, relationships. Yeah, relationships. That's what right, I think right. I paid for. Anyways, he sponsored me 30K, and the thing was gonna work out, but it didn't because my marketing was bad, and pretty much it, and it launched it too late. It was like one, I was launched it one week before summer vacation started, so like parents didn't know what happened. Right. Things like that, and Corona hit, so I couldn't do it, right? Right. So then I was like, hmm, you know, I was with my ex at that time. Um, and I was, I still remember we went to art, uh, we went to like an art gallery that day, then we went to a cafe nearby and sat down. I was like, you know what? 
I want to make money. Like, I want to, like, make business. I want to have business. I want to make cash. But, like, I just don't know what to do. Like, I just can't think of anything I can do. Like, something's definitely out there, but I don't know what it is. And, like, on top of her head, she was like, hmm, you know what? Teach Chinese kids social classes. They don't, don't have social skills. Teach them social classes. I was like, hmm, hold the fuck up. That's a good idea, you know? <laughs> like, then I did some research into it, right? And I realized... People from bilingual schools, they interact in Chinese, they talk in Chinese, they have classes in Chinese, they don't know Western culture, they don't know what it's like, they don't know how to socialize, they don't know how to speak the language, they don't know how to act in different situations, they don't know the slang, they can't get along with people. So when they go abroad, you see all these people like only hanging out with the same group of people. That's why you see Chinese people like or like rich Chinese guys hanging out with other rich Chinese guys with the race cars and stuff like that, right? They don't socialize. And this really limits their ability to interact with their friends, peers, or even college professors when they go abroad. And I realized that, number one, a lot of kids actually want to socialize, but they just know, don't know how to. So that's a problem. And number two, it's bad for your college apps. Like, when they have interviews in that, like, what are they going to say? They can't just, like, be like, uh, and awkward, right? They got to be social. Like, colleges want to see people with personalities. Yeah. So I was like, yo, you know what? I can capitalize on this. So I sold social classes, classes that sell social skills, right. where I teach social skills. I ask them, like, situation because I'm super comfortable with it. Like, I go out a lot. I meet new people all the time, and I'm just comfortable in situations like this. So I, I would just, like, have a course outline where I teach her uh, students different things, like I'll assign homeworks of slang, memorizing slang words that they could use, um, like how to start conversations, how to maintain conversations, like how to get people to like you, how to uh, get people to like, um, just like how to how to be social basically. Right. You know, um, and then I was having class with uh, my student, right, and I was like. And I was like, yo, so what APs are you taking next year? I was just having casual conversation. The student was like, oh, um, our, sc our school doesn't offer any APs. I was like, hold the fuck up. Your school doesn't offer APs? How are you going to go for college? You know, No AP score. And I was like, oh, we only offer one AP calculus. And um, we have to take the other APs elsewhere. And I had, I had a light bulb. That was a light bulb <laughs> moment for me. I was like, ding, I got ching sound in my head. I was like, hold the fuck up. If your school doesn't offer APs, and if other places like Blueprint charge too much, then what I could do is I could get really smart friends, which, I mean, like, I know a lot of people, so I know a lot of smart people, too. So I would get a lot of smart friends to come in and teach these AP classes. Mm -hmm. Two weeks into the trial prototype run, I sold 48 classes to the same girl. 48. 48 classes. I mean, it was part of my promotion. Like, I was having promotion for it, but right. the parent paid me 8K in a day because I sold 48 classes. I sold half a year's worth of classes in one day. Right. And I was like, bam, this is, this is the holy grail. Like, I could actually make money out of this, right? And, like, people want this. And if I could provide a good value... Like, if I could, like, to these people, I'm providing value to them. I'm providing good quality education because these kids are actually really, really smart. And I'm providing that for cheaper costs compared to other places like Blueprint or other places like that, other test prep centers. 
So then now I've been expanding to other APAs like English class, not only social classes, but like, oh, by the way, social classes, we have like people from top universities, college students, like in different continents teaching. So for example, in U the US, we have people from Colombia. Um, we have people from like other Ivy Leagues and from Australia. We have people from University of Melbourne. From UK, we have other good schools. So we have people all over, right? But then now we have focused to AP classes because that's where the lucrative money comes in. And obviously, um, yeah, and I can provide value to them because all I have to do, I'm pretty much a middleman that gets coaches, gets clients, and just makes make money off of it, I guess. So that's what I've been doing. And yeah, so that's what I've been up to. That's the pretty much the business and how I'm running and how it started. God. I'm I'm speechless, honestly. I, I didn't know it was that like next level. That's I don't know if I I don't know if I know anyone with that sort of like initiative, especially at our age, even your age. Like that's impressive. I really I, I really gotta say I I didn't know it was that much. I I like however I had like a question like for AP like to teach AP. Do you not need to have any sort of like like qualification like not 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 qualification necessarily but like some sort of like formal um or like i wouldn't i don't i don't know if legit is the right word but like some official like college board um approved qualification no the thing is um to teach if, if you want to teach math do you have to get a certificate from the education bureau bureau uh bureau if bureau. you're like a tutor no you don't no. so for AP classes, what we do is to ensure value for the first classes that they all take in all subjects, mm -hmm. we provide them for free. Mm -hmm. And that's just to show how qualified right. our teachers are. So right. the parents will look at it, the students will see. And if they see it, if they like the first class, which shows a lot about the teacher, right. then they'll take it. So it's right. like a free class that they could take, like right. ask all these questions, like go through what we're going to learn, have a first class to like really show the skills. Right. So that's what we use to that's, show that's really that's really something else you pretty much broke the system like i mean before you i'm not saying you're like a pioneer or anything but like i'm saying like it's really impressive because um that's i mean people you're sort of like breaking the um, the norm of like especially in shanghai i feel like is like you're sort of like challenging the the importance of like a high reputation school you know what i'm saying because Sort of like before this, I mean, especially Chinese students would want to like, you know, want to go to like this high school or like that high school to like, like from like with certain teachers that offered sort of like the best APs or something like that. But what you are offering something, not something that's like parallel to this thing, right? This like cheaper option and like mm -hmm. com completely like, although similar, completely different sort of like um option to these 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 kids that can't like have them at these schools and i think that's that's genius because and at the same time like i we do things differently like you know how normal classes they normal normal test prep centers teachers leave at six right right we have classes at nine and stuff like that right and it's convenient because we have it through zoom we have it through wechat Absolutely. and the kid could learn at nine when they're free and the teacher doesn't have to leave the house. They could just do it in the right. comfort of their own room. And I think there's also some something else about having, like, another student teach to you. I mean, because I feel like, especially with some teachers in China, it's like, 
all you're ever going to have with this teacher is a student to teacher relationship but perhaps if you if you if you're being taught by someone younger someone you can relate to more it's it's even more probable they're going to come back because there's sort of like a more comfortable relationship. That's, that's exactly think? why we started the social skills class. Right. Because, okay, if they want to improve, improve their English, there are lots of options, right? There's EF English First, which hires 40-year-old white males from, <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know where they come from. Right. But they're creepy. They're not good at English. They're a bit slow. And they just do it for the money, right? Right. But, and it's kind of creepy talking to those old people. How are you going to learn to socialize with old people that's not who you're gonna be socializing in college that's such a good point but if we do it if we do it in the same age group like college kids or high school students we can provide the same we can provide better value at a better opportunity which makes right. them more comfortable it's too. just better overall like, yeah. that's really interesting and the thing wow. is a lot of people ask me like how you're, you're selling social classes right <laughs> sounds pretty sounds like a pretty sketchy thing to do like how could you put that in metrics right mm, yeah. like you can't grade social skills. Are, how are you going to do it? Are you going to make a rubric for them? Like, <laughs> are you going to secretly like scale it up? Whatever. The more classes they take, you give them a higher score or not? So, what I did was came out when I was taking a shower. I was like, <laughs> of course. What if I had seminars, live seminars where I bring these students in? Like, I know so many. Like, I I've been blessed. I've been so blessed to know so many people from Shanghai because of the international school community. And I pretty much know at least, I, I, I just pretty much know like a lot of people from East School in Shanghai. You name it, I probably know a couple people from there. <laughs> and so the thing is, I was like, what if I bring those people in, social friends in from these schools, and bring these Chinese kids from bilingual schools and have live seminars that are tailored to what they like, to their personalities. For example, if they're like a sporty kind of person, we could have sports seminars where uh, they play basketball together, socialize in it like that. If they're a bit more posh, for example, to get play golf together, <laughs> go on a golf course, go to a golfing range, things like that. If they could go for tea time or they could go for like, we what I what I plan on doing is having two live seminars a month, where we provide uh, live experiences, socializing experience for these kids. And the thing is, coaches are gonna be there too, and they'll talk to them, have fun with their uh, students, like talk socialize things like that what the teacher's role is is to observe the student see what they're good at what they're lacking so that we could provide classes that are more tailored to them right, right. for example some students know the language but they don't have social skills right. so what do you do you teach them the social skills some kids know the social skills but they don't know the language right so what do you do you teach them the language like slang things like that or classes how to how to keep conversations in different environments things like that so that's what the teacher could get off of these seminars. And for the students, what the students will get is they can really see how they're improving. Like, if, are they really getting better? Are they getting experience? And so they could see how they're growing. So that's the metrics that we're showing. Because social skill is like pretty much just a mixture of knowledge and how to act in different situations, communication skills, confidence, and how you present yourself. Right? That's pretty right. much it. And so by doing that, the only way you could actually tell how you're improving is to do it yourself, right? Just doing it, yeah. so that's how we show the students. Like, if they don't feel like they're improving, then um, I guess we're doing something wrong. But if they do, then it's a very pivotal moment for us and a realization that what we're doing could actually be put in metrics for them to see. That's, no, you're absolutely right. That's such a very interesting idea. I mean, to really, like, um, sort of, like, 
I don't know if concret concretize, but like make like tangible the 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 the, the they're, they're what they've learned by like putting them in a seminar is like a really good idea because I mean it not only shows you how how much they've improved but also shows them right yeah I mean obviously if someone who could barely like introduce themselves a couple months ago now has a chance at the seminar or like really like goes out and like you know approaches people and like that's that's really interesting i I think that's um really the really interesting way and really intelligent way to really tackle this this thing that you you've started so yeah i mean thank you for sharing honestly it was really interesting um so sort of like building on this um this topic we're talking about which is like taking the initiative and actually being able to not only take the initiative, but make it into something real, you know, make it into a real, like a business, something that very legitimate. I see. Um, like how do you sort of like, um, measure success, right? Mm -hmm. The success to you start right away when you, when you have the idea or do you only in your mind only see success when the project is in its like further stages? What do you, what do you think? I feel like success for me is when you're able to create a vision for yourself. For example, my vision is to provide these kids with classes that improve their social skills and also along with AP classes that enable them to get high scores for AP tests and get them in good colleges, right? So that's my vision. And how I'm doing it is like, that's what we say, but there's so many things we have to do. Like, how are we gonna market it? How are we gonna have the teachers plan the classes out? How am I gonna manage the teachers? How am I gonna get my promoters to like sell these classes? Like, how are we gonna get these students? Like, you know, all these things, right? So I feel like success for me is being able to incorporate both of those together. Your vision and Mm -hmm bringing your vision to life, working on it, finding ways, finding solutions, because you're always going to have problems, but finding solutions to those problems and bringing that vision to life. I think that's what success is. And I feel like that goes for everything. So success for business, for success for my current project, I say, let's say it could be for me to, since I have that vision already, it could be for me to um, maintain high quality classes, find more teachers, find more students, find better platforms for them to use, find more ways I could, uh, you know, make it more, make the system better. Like, I don't know, like, I don't know yet, but I could maybe develop ways for it to be more convenient for the teachers and the students, uh, things like that, right? So, and me being able to bring that to life mm-hmm. by marketing it well, by mm-hmm. maintaining the teacher's quality, things like that. So that could be success for business, right? Right, right. But that go, I feel like that goes for everything else too, like even for life. What... A lot of people will go like, um, what's your definition of a successful life? Some mm-hmm. people say happiness, family, mm-hmm. monetary gains. But for me, it's finding a vision for what you want to be in 30 years or let's say 50 years or 60 years. Having a vision for that and working on it and bringing it to reality. Yeah. I feel like Absolutely. that's all success is. It's just... Absolutely. I agree 100%. Yeah. I think that, yeah, success is being able to take that and just actually doing something, something that, you know, 
something I've heard so many times in my life by teachers, by older people is they always talk about potential. You know, so many times, for example, like parent teacher conferences that I know I did a shitty job in a class. I go and I sit and this teacher tells my mom, oh, Felipe has so much potential. But like, what does that really mean? You know, what being potential, having potential so far from being successful. I mean, I feel like what is really going to make people like stand out and what's going to distinguish the winners from the losers is not the potential, but being able to take this potential and, and doing something with it, right? Putting in the work. That's Putting it to work, right? I feel, like, I feel like I have to admit that a lot of times I procrastinate all the time. Mm. And I feel like for even for my project, I slack off a lot. <laughs> Sometimes I just don't want to do it. I just do other things. I just like chill out with my friends. I go out with my friends. I don't care about the project sometimes, right? But at the end of the day, I feel like I've been learning that without hard work, without putting in the effort, you actually wouldn't bring it anywhere. But at the right. same time, I also realized that what you could do is if you like actually doing it, if you actually have a passion for it, and if you feel good about doing it, then when you are working on it, you feel confidence, you feel yeah. happiness, you feel proud of yourself. It's fun, it's drilling, you know, it gets an right. adrenaline rush going. Right, yeah. You know, sure. so it can, you can make it fun too. So you can have fun while putting into work to have success. Yeah. It's okay. like a combination of fun things. Obviously, I think that, you know, also there's something, it has something to do with like how much work you put in it before, how much is that, that's going to translate with like a feeling of fulfillment or like actually like, happiness with it like i think you know we could bring this back to one of the first things you were talking about with the video game right before you were the one actually like saving up and like working to get that game and um like little did you know like that process before you actually got the game was an important part of the overall experience right and um once you got all these games for free without having to do anything for them it just wasn't the same thing and I feel like, although that's not the same as what you're talking about now, I think it could be sort of connected because, I mean, it's just by hearing how much work and how much thought you've put into this, it's really, it's really impressive to see. And like, I'm sure that it's going to become something even bigger than what it already is. So really, I'm, I'm speechless. This is very interesting. Very impressive. a lot. Very impressive. Um, Rarely have I seen... Um, kids of our age, your age, or younger than me, with this sort of like strive to carry out their vision, and the way you've been doing it, and I've seen it myself, is really is really impressive. And so, yeah, really, thank you for sharing. That was, that no was problem, man. I'm glad to. <clears throat> All right. So, after having talked about this, um, I think it's st- staying sort of on the same route and talking more about success. Um, I've always been curious. I've always been interested in, in how, in what type of role success or just goals, as we've been talking about, have had in us as a sort of a species. So um, on a more general term, I feel like, um, for example, money or this like more concrete um, sort of materialistic things that we have today have been really linked to success. But I feel like in the past, that's not always been the case. I mean, um, for many years, I feel like success has been completely different. Things that we can't even like really conceive today. Like 
I was wondering what what you thought. Like, um, do you think that this strive for success has had an important impact in like what the human species has become today? I feel like humans in general are built to succeed, to evolve, to get better. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's that's look at okay, look at the human species started like uh, the first signs of humans started like I don't know like two hundred thousand years ago, so, yeah, somewhere some, around that, some right? Like two hundred thousand years ago, and at the first time, the f- first tool that the Neanderthals had was mm. that little stone that was a little stone that they carved out, right? And they mm. put it on their hand. They had to hold on to the stone. It was sharp on the edge and it was round on the back, so they hold the round part and they could break corns. They could bake uh no they could break like acorns they could break like shells things like that so like when they find crabs they could break that things like that in general right or they could Mm -hmm. cut things too they use that for tens of tens of thousands of years Mm -hmm. then bam someone another another guy was like hey what if we put that on a stick you know it's so much more convenient it reduces the stress on our arm on our hands when we hit the thing that we're trying to break so what if you put on a stick you know bam now we have the first axe the first stone the first tool was used for tens of thousands of years but that axe only existed for thousands of years right Mm -hmm. then came another development what if you put that stone on a wooden stick put create and throw it right Mm -hmm. because they're animals they're tigers they're like mammoths like there's there are all these animals that you have to hunt and eat and get away from and protect your families from so what are you going to do you can't just go up to them use a use a knife and like kind of like stab them to death right but now this guy what this guy has developed is an what we call an arrow right now we can shoot it from long range so that's development and the funny thing is that only lasted for hundreds of years and then came more developments sharper knives sharper tools and then came the first signs of homo sapiens somewhere in Africa. They had art drawings. They had uh, they had fire. They had they had all these different things. And these were all developments that created that came along quicker and quicker and quicker. Think about it this way, like even in the tech industries, new devices come in every tens uh, like there is a radical technological shift every once in ten years. And it goes by even faster in different industries, but like for example, software industry, things change every single year. It's so fast and evolution has created, evolution, it's just like, it moves on faster and faster, right? And the only reason for that is because I feel like, I genuinely feel like humans are programmed to grow like this. They're programmed to find more convenient, they're smart, right? They're smart. So they can use tools to find ways to make them more comfortable. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's what humans are meant to do. And I feel like the same goes along with success. People want to be more comfortable, right? So what can they do? They make tools and they make use of quote-unquote tools. So if they are, they need more financial resources, if they need more money, if they're poor, what could they do? They could get smart. They could use the quote-unquote tools. They could start a business. So that's their tool to get to the comfortable lifestyle that they want, right? So I feel like this success is basically just a part of our human genetics or like how we're programmed 
to make ourselves more comfortable, get what we want, and right. find a vision for it, work for it, and actually make that vision come to life. And there you have it. Now you live a better, comfortable life. And I feel like that's how I see it. That's that's a very interesting point. Um, just the idea that we always striving for just a better situation, right? Mm-hmm. Where that be uncomfortable, like easy, easier killing animals, or like even today just making more money. But I'm wondering, like, is it actually that, or is it just more about the competition? Because us as a very like, we're obviously a very social species, right? And sort of, I feel like we've always been like you've been taught, like it's always been in our essence in our nature to strive for something right whether that be a a more comfortable life but what if it were just as sort of competition right what if it were all just instead of just being sorry more comfortable it is just to prove yourself to others you know i feel like even before money that's always been a common trend right obviously um i don't know when people were still like hunting and like groups or something the the cap like the 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 boss or like the captain or like whoever was in charge was like the best at something right at hunting or was like the fastest Mm -hmm. run or something like that and i'm wondering if more of like how we've evolved has been out of the strive to outdo others than it is just to make ourselves feel better. Do you, what do yeah, you think? I, I get what you mean, but like when you say comfortable, it doesn't only mean like physically comfortable. Right. It also means comfortable as in, for example, if you're financially comfortable, you're comfortable with money. And if you're comfortable in other things too, like people with leadership, they're comfortable because they get the respect that they want. Of things course. like that. For competition too, like if you're competitive in sports, why do you do it? Because you want to win, right? right. You get grow from it. You get the satisfaction from it, things yeah. like that. So that's what comfort could also be. You're right. That's yeah. also like a part of comfort or like what I see comfort as. The two things are definitely intertwined. So I feel like everyone always works for that quote-unquote comfort. It could be different types of things, but I feel like it could all be surrounded around the idea of comfort or what mm-hmm. comfort comes from. Mm-hmm. Because, um, yeah, and... If they work, I feel like they're all working for these things, right? Com- no matter what's, whether it's competition and the technological industry, whether it's sports or that leadership that people desire, everyone works for it. But what do they get out of it? I feel like the berries on the trees that come out of these things that they work for is what comfort is for me or how I see it. Yeah, I agree 100%. I think that's a very interesting point. And just building off of that, what do you think of like, even we could call it a core value of equality, right? The core value of equality. So. Right, because, I mean, what we're talking about here, in essence, is sort of like the human's capitalist nature, right? Uh-huh. Always striving to be comfortable, as you mm-hmm. said, or maybe better than others. Like, what do you think of that? Do you think that I, that I, is the human essence, or is just more, like capitalism is more of a social construct today or something that's always been within us? I think it's something that's always been with us. I, I obviously, I believe that humans have um, a good heart. A lot of people have good hearts and deep inside, right? But I feel like at the same time, a lot of people have greed. And I definitely feel that myself. I have a lot of greed. For example, like, all right, let's say I was, I was living on Earth like 100,000 years ago or like 200,000 years ago. Or, no, let's say I'm on an island, right? Mm-hmm. 
I'm on an abandoned island. No one else is there. I was in a plane crash, and I'm just with one other guy, or one other person. Doesn't matter. Let's say we fish, right? Or let's say we have a limited amount of resources. Obviously, I'm gonna I'm gonna want to eat more than that other person is, right? I'm hungry too. Like I don't want to, like. I'm gonna find ways for me to be able to eat more. Like no matter if if right. I have to hunt more, if I have to do more things. Right. Like there's always that greed, and it's the same thing with money. Like you always want more. You yeah. always want more, and no, it's not always about wanting more. Cause okay, cause um, I'm going a little off track, but um, I have I know I have a lot of friends and that are I have a lot of friends that are they come from very successful families Rich. and. They yeah they are pretty fucking rich, they are they are millionaires and billionaires. Crazy and, rich Asians. Just kidding. Uh, <laughs> crazy rich Asians is pretty much like living in Shanghai. If you go to if you go to a club, like half of them are hella rich, right? Mm-hmm. So, and a lot a lot of them I, I I like talking about money with a lot of them because to get to talk to these like different people from different financial backgrounds with the term money like what does it mean to you like mm, what is money to yeah. you? I, used, I, I love talk I talked about it with my friend yesterday too and I talked about it with my friend Jack anyways um yeah and what a lot of people have told me or especially people um billionaire level or hundreds of millions of dollar, dollars network level have told me is that once you reach a certain point of wealth it doesn't matter it no longer matters because the thing is, even, for example, my friends uh, on average or my wealthy friends on average, they spend around a million RMB a year on just going out, things like that, right? But they told me, they were like, even if, uh, by the way, a million RMB is like what, like two, a hundred, $150,000 a year? Yeah, something like So that. like $150,000 a, a year. Lot. On like just going out, eating out, going out with friends, yes. buying things, buying gifts, things like that, right? They have told me that even if they were, even the billionaires or sons of bil- kids of billionaires spend around a million, and even millionaires spend around a million. So if that if they reach a certain point where they're comfortable, where their families are comfortable with spending a million RMB on their kid a year and just allowance, then it doesn't matter for them because that amount, that place of comfort is. Is enough for them so like my billionaire friend he doesn't even if he if his family earns more billion billions which he probably will he says he's not he hasn't been spending more like their family accumulated a lot more wealth but that didn't change his spending level he stayed around 1 million RMB a year because that's comfortable for him right he doesn't he's already getting everything he wants he's already getting limousine rides everywhere he's already eating all the food he wants going all the places he wants like He's getting everything he wants, and there's a specific, there's like a cap to it too. Like you can't get more than it. Like, yeah, there's a limit, right? So, I feel like, I feel like there's greed, but there's only greed to a certain level. It's just that, obviously, people want more. Like, I don't want to stop at like if I in the future, like if I become a billionaire, I don't want to stop at billions, right? I want to go more and more, right? (laughs) I I have that greed inside me, that yes, it's to reach success, but at the same time. Like you know, it's just like uh, let's how how can we say it's like a, it's like, it's like a point where you could go like, wow, I really made it, right? Mm-hmm. And you want to always up that and like money, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's that too, but I feel like the thing is that it's not about greed. Sometimes it's just that no, obviously it is about greed, but I feel like a lot of times it's just that 
it's impossible for everyone in the world to be that rich mm. because there has to be a working class to support right. the wealthy no, class, I right? Agree. Absolutely. So I feel like it's just a matter of who gets to be wealthy and who has to stay poor. Yeah. There's no wealthy without the poor. Right? There's no, there's definitely no wealthy without the poor. So, yeah, I agree. So I feel um, like it's just a matter of like, whether you're, whether you want to be wealthy or whether we want to be poor. So who gets to be who? You know? Right, absolutely. I obviously, considering there's a lot of other things that play into it, like how you start off, like okay. where you were born and stuff like that. Um, I don't think Johnson is trying to deny the the inexistence of privilege or anything like that but i absolutely agree i feel like people nowadays um sort of justify their unwillingness or lack of ambition on privilege right because at the end of the day you can be born in a very wealthy family and not really do anything with that what some people actually want to do a lot with it like they have the money they have the resources and a lot of my friends at the same time some want to become like some. Some of my friends want to become uh, uh, big politicians when they grow up. Some want to create their own businesses with the funds they have. For example, they invest heavily in the stock market, things like that. Right. So, no, no, of course, of course, but but yeah, it's just like I'm. I'm. Um, they're just just different yeah, aspects. Of, of course, I I, under, I I agree completely with you, and I think your point is that it's very individualistic. I mean, your your strive is you, mm-hmm. right? Um. Of course, it does matter where you're born, but I think your point is that regardless, it's, it's more you, right? You you have to be the one that takes the initiative. Yeah, for sure. Um, however, I'd like to go back to something that you said in the middle of this very interesting, um, even analogy that you made with the fishing. Mm-hmm. Um, you said something, <clears throat> I think you said that people are, in essence, good. Did you say that? Something like I that? I feel like... People have a good heart, but at the same time, right. they could be greedy. So my, my, my question is, if you have to answer the question, are people in, like, good or bad? Like, I know it's a very asked question, but, like, is the human good or is inherently good or is the human inherently bad? What do you think? I feel like, I feel like it's not a yes or no. I feel like humans are born with the tendency to act differently in different situations like look at all these okay infamous businessmen like rockefeller look at the the infamous like his his business tactics were hated by millions right he charged less than minimum wages he didn't pay his employees a lot um he bought out other companies he made other companies uh businesses go bankrupt just so that he could earn more money right so that's him being greedy but at the same time after he accumulated so much wealth he donated he donated so much money to the poor he donated almost all of his money right for example the rockefeller center or like no not even like he donated a lot of money but like even like warren buffett right he is greedy he at first he, he obviously if you're like in, like in a position like that like uh, the CEO of Berkshire Hathaway, you have to be greedy for your company, right? Mm-hmm. He earns so much money, he finds ways to invest to get more money. But at the same time, you could call that greedy, right? Could you agree that you could call that yeah, greedy because it's wanting more money? But at the same time, he donated billions of dollars into all these charities. So I feel like it's 
it's different for people. Like when they need something, they have to be greedy. But once they have it, they could have a kind heart. I agree with you. However, I feel like the charity thing is not a good argument because, I mean, the lives that these people destroyed when they, for example, um, sent other companies into bankruptcy, I feel like could be higher than the people, than the lives that he helped with donations. Also, um, I think that donating money is often like a, I wouldn't say a ploy, but a tactic to create an image, right? But a lot, of, a lot of times, people actually donate money because they actually genuinely do care in a specific cause. Right, I'm not, I'm not doubting yeah. that, but I'm just saying that the, um, the, 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 like the, the, the damage that was already done might, might be greater. Yeah, it definitely could be greater. I'm not saying that it reaches a point of equilibrium, but... I feel like people have to be people have to act differently. Right. No, no, you're, yeah, so I that's what I feel like. It's not like innately are people good or bad. I good feel like bad. people have to be bad to other people when they have to get something for themselves. But when they once they have it, they could have a more generous heart. I feel like that that's the way I see it. Right. Yeah, well. Like okay, when I'm when I get a lot, okay, when my business brings me revenue, this yeah. is a classic example. <laughs> I would buy my parents' gifts. I would buy my friends' gifts. I would buy, like, my friends' like, thing. I would go shopping at Ralph Lauren with my friends. I would buy them stuff when I get stuff, too. I would feel generous, right? Mm-hmm. But then when I'm poor, I would <laughs> save every penny, like, make all my friends pay every single penny back. Like how Filippo never. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Anyways, yeah. That's true. Things like, <laughs> so things like that, right? And when I'm poor, I have to, for example, think of better ways to earn money. Be more greedy, because that's the only way I could get what I want. You know, that's the way I can. That's the only way right. I can reach my comfort. So okay, yeah. So uh, what you're saying is that it just depends on the situation, yeah, maybe in your life situation. too, and you don't think there's any inherent. Virtue or vice. I think the only inherent thing that people are born with is the ability to change and survive. The ability to change and survive is what people are born with. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's a fair point. Um, yeah, I agree. I think that the question in general is just can't be generalized like that. Um, but okay. Yeah. Um, also. Just to wrap things up here, um, before um, before talking about this sort of like more capitalist tendencies of human beings and sort of like the strife for the comfort, um, we were talking about um, technological advances. And um, I think you made a very interesting point of how uh, over the years technology has advanced more quicker, quicker and quicker and quicker. But what do you think that has, do you think this trend is still present today? Because I feel like the, um, sometimes I look around and I feel like we've achieved um, the technology that we need. Like something that I, I always like, I'm always like sort of interesting to watch on TV is Shark Tank. And I, I don't like the idea of Shark Tank very much because I know it's a it's an interesting way to get, make start up small businesses. But at the same time, like I see more and more entrepre- wannabe entrepreneurs <laughs> failing. And I and sometimes it makes me think like in terms of technology, like humans don't really need that much more. And I feel like 
this trend of technology advancing quicker and quicker is going to die off because I, for example, um, the idea of like flying cars and that, I feel like every year that's becoming more distant because what would flying cars, for example, bring to us? Like, would that even be a good idea? So like going back to this, this concept that you made, that you, that you introduced was that about how technology is advancing quicker and quicker. Do you, do you think that's still applies today? Yeah, def I definitely feel that that's still applying today. Like, I think it's just a matter of whether it's technological improvements and aspect that we need in life or don't. Like, for example, for, um, they've been making a coronavirus vaccine, right? right. That's something we need. Right. And the development speed of us creating a vaccine for coronavirus was uncomparably higher than other diseases so far. Yeah. Like smallpox, chickenpox, things like that. Those took years, right? But coronavirus, the development speed, even though we don't have solid results yet, the develop the speed of development has been so fast and that's only that's only been possible because of techno technological developments developing faster and faster in the asp for the aspects that we need in right, life. Right, because of the yeah. demand. Yeah, there's just demand. But like fi flying ca cars, there's not a lot of demand because people don't really need flying cars. They have like helicopters or like cars or planes. I gotta say, that's a really good point. I think you just changed my mind. That's, <laughs> not, that's really interesting. I never thought of it that way, but the things that we do need do come up a lot quicker. Yeah. Like, yeah. some people, we need faster Wi-Fi, right? 5G's coming out. That was, five, the speed of 2G turning to 3G took years. 4G. 4G, LTE, all these things, LTE+, plus, like, these things came up, like, so quickly, you know? Obviously, 5G is very hard to achieve, which is why it's taking a long time, but... For, but still, already, yeah, it's like, like a thing, yeah. Korea has it. Like, China. China has it. China has it, but... Some, 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 yeah, some, it's, 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 it's a situation, but a lot of countries <laughs> have it already. And it's so fast. It's a breaker. You can download a movie in seconds. You know? Wow. So in the aspects that we need. So it doesn't have to be like for like for like home devices, but it could be for maybe like uh, engineering developments, like I mean it boils down to supply and demand. Yeah, supply and demand, man. Economics. That's that's really interesting. That is I mean it, we could even actually apply it to your your venture with the with the like social social skills teaching. Uh -huh. I mean Damn, that's that's a really good point. I actually changed my mind. Yeah, 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 no, you made a good point. Very good point. Um, I used to, I used to not feel that way, but actually, it's pretty cool to hear, man. It is. It is. Um, I I don't really have any more topics to talk about, but I think that today was extremely interesting. Honestly, hearing you speak about your your journey into sort of taking these ideas that you have and making them into reality was honestly. Very interesting, dare I say inspiring. I hope that anyone listening sort of with an idea follows Johnson's steps and that was that was really interesting. Yeah. Um, it's all about it's like follow your like just make your own yeah. steps. And the thing is like most business projects or ventures that I've started, almost all of like literally all of them failed except for this one, right? Like people always talk about more Mozart, he made hundreds of pieces, but only like tens got like were renowned. Mm -hmm. Like Dvorak made hundreds, he made like if not thousands, I forgot, but only like a hand like a yeah. small selection of them got you know, so like if you want to do something, yeah, just do like Filippo's doing. Like if he wants to create a successful successful podcast, <laughs> do it with a shit ton of people and a small portion of them will actually have good things, yeah. 
What else can I say? <laughs> That's very good point. Very interesting. Very interesting point of view. Um, before we um, finish this episode, um, I'd like to know if there's anything you would like to say, share, promote some of your projects, anything. Uh, I mean, I don't have a lot to promote because right now, but because I got promoters promoting for me. Promoters promoting. <laughs> oh shoot! But I, I like if anyone's actually if anyone's listening, I would just like to say to the listeners that. It's a quote that Warren Buffett, I read in a Warren Buffett book that always stuck with me. It's to always think and always believe that you could do more than what you think you could. This is what's going to drive you. This is what's going to push you that one more step. And that's what's going to start you. That's gonna, it could start a f- flame in you. It's like it, it, makes po- it, it creates a possibility for you to be able to achieve what you want, right? So that's what I really want to say to you guys. Like, if you want to do something, just always think that you could do more than you think you could. Always believe that. And chances are you probably could, because a lot of people underestimate themselves. Don't do it too much, but like, always do it to push yourself. You know. That was very well said. I couldn't say anything like that myself. That's very well. Well, you guys heard it here first. Johnson Park. Great, very interesting stuff. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. Honestly, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much.